Hello, and welcome to the School of Attraction podcast. I'm Damien Dicker, and I'll be talking to you about a range of topics from dating, attraction, masculinity, sexuality, life philosophy, and much, much more. So without any further ado, let's get started. I hope you enjoy listening to today's podcast just as much as I've enjoyed creating it. So what is the evolutionary theory of human mating behavior? Well, you've probably heard this before. What we do is we look at human behavior in our past because humans haven't really evolved much in the last few thousand years. So if we want to understand what our core human sexual drives now, today, we really need to look at our formative years as human beings, as a species. And so we, we tend to look back at our sort of more caveman era when we were evolving, living on the plains of probably Africa. What were our needs then? What likely would be have been written into our DNA for survival and replication then? Because if you understand that then, then you probably understand how we behave today. And then you've got some idea what would be the most organic or natural form of human behavior and what we're most likely to be turned on in men and in women. Now, the title of this video is a little bit clickbaity because I said, is this fact or fiction? And it is fact. I mean, we have a pretty good idea how humans were back in the day in the in our ancestral um, growing up period. We have a pretty good idea about that. But the reason that there's a lot of fiction, there's a huge amount of fiction inbuilt is because there is there are a lot of stories that we tell that aren't true based on what we know now about our human legacy. And also there's a lot of just so stories. In other words, I believe this is how humans should behave. Now, can I find evidence to back that up from our ancestral history? And then I tell a story that makes that seems to legitimize what I believe about how human behavior should be today. There's a lot of that at play. And I want to talk about that today. I want to talk about um, the scientifically smart way to approach the evolutionary theory about human development, because there's a lot of crap out there. And I think that it would really help you to understand how best to attract women if you understood the true nature of that theory. So we're going to get stuck into that day today. Keep watching. Let's learn. So let's talk about one of the really common uh, human evolutionary theories that, 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 that grind me a lot. Okay, so we say women need men who have a lot of power because back in the day, if you had a child with a man who didn't wield a lot of power, then he wouldn't be able to take care of your child very well. He wouldn't be able to supply resources for your child, so your child might be less well taken care of. Not to mention the fact that women also have to be careful of promiscuous sex because if a woman has a baby without the dad around that, and then women are largely incapacitated while they are pregnant, they're not as well able to look after themselves without a man around to take care of them, they're going to be in the crapper and in trouble. So it makes sense that women need to find a man who's definitely going to stick around before she sleeps with him and women de- would definitely be best advised to find a man with a lot of power. So this is the evolutionary theory. And there is some reason to that, right? It kind of makes sense when you look at survival in the plains. Except when you look at how we understand these tribal systems to actually have worked. So first of all, if you suddenly found yourself, I know you're probably a man watching this video, but let's imagine that you found yourself with a child, it's your child, and your partner, the wife, she's died. She's died in childbirth. You're all alone with this kid. Who are you going to turn to right now to help you look after that kid? Would it by any chance be your parents, your brothers and sisters, your extended family, cousins, nephews, nieces, uncles and aunts? Would they be who you'd turn to? Okay, so put yourself on the plains in a tribe. Who do you think you're surrounded by in a tribe? 
Okay, you are surrounded by uncles, aunts, cousins, brothers, sisters, mothers, fathers, right? You have a tribe. One thing we understand about tribal behavior when we look at the tribes that exist today and, and what we can gather from the historic record is that tribes raise children, right? The individual parent in most tribes we know of today, yes, has primary care of that child, but the entire tribe takes care of the child because the entire tribe, more often than not, is related to that kid, right? And we have something that's known as kin selection where we we take better care of people we're related to than people we're not related to. And so it doesn't matter, or it matters a lot less than the story narrative says, if a woman does or doesn't have the husband around. If we're living in a tribe of 50 or 60 members, you're related to most of those members. You have people to take care of you and help to feed that child and help to take care of it. And so, you know, when you look at the truth of actually what we understand, that narrative, that just so narrative that says, this is why women must be... Um, obsessed with power and money, it breaks down a little bit. It doesn't necessarily stand the test of the human, the, the real scientific human behavioral biology and what we understand of how humans are. And I guess so. my first point is that there are a lot of narratives that are false, that, that serve an agenda that we have to be careful about that don't match up with how what we actually know. And then there's the other side, which is culture and the role that that plays. So let me ask you guys a question. Picture the last time you saw a woman that really made you, like, just, just made you go, holy crap, I just, oh, girl, I want this woman. Think about the last time you felt that way about a woman. Like, just, just picture it. What did she look like? Okay. Did she look like this? <laughs> okay. Now, it's possible she did, but probably not. It's probably more likely she looked something like this. Right. Now, right now we're going through a phase where we are actually taking a swing towards women with a little bit more weight on them. But think back to the 90s. If you were around in the 90s, that's when I was a teenager. What was most popular in women was to be really slim, really thin was the popular thing at the time. And, you know, that you had the whole anorexic um, um, women in fashion and all that kind of stuff going on back then as well, especially in the 80s as well. But what you can see is still now you're not after a, 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 um, a chubby Rubenesque woman, probably. Some may be, and that's totally fine, but most of you aren't. You're after a slimmer woman who has some curve. But let me ask you, who is less likely to die during childbirth? The slim woman or the slightly chubby Rubenesque woman? Who is most likely to know where the best food resources are to feed your child? The slightly chubby woman <laughs> or the slimmer woman, right? Who is most likely to be a dominant member of the tribe ego who gets first choice of food, but who's most likely to be a dominant member of the tribe, therefore you're marrying up in status, the Rubenesque woman or the slim woman, right? So you can see where I'm going with this line of questioning. It, you know, who's most likely to survive in a drought, right? When, when, when food gets scarce, of course, the Rubenesque woman is more likely to survive. And here we go. There is a great evolutionary story why you must be attracted to chubby Rubenesque women. And yet, you're probably not. But once upon a time, humans were attracted to these type of women. That's why they're called Rubenesque women. That's what was considered the most attractive at the time, because women with money and power ate the most food. Therefore, they're more likely to be chubby and Rubenesque. And that was the, the peak of female attractiveness. And what I'm getting at here is that you, even though it should be in your genes that you want larger women, right now you probably don't. And the reason is the culture that you grew up in. And it's really important to acknowledge that the culture you're in plays a massive role in what you find attractive. And that isn't just true for humans. That's true for many, many primates. If you really want to learn about human behavior, not just sexual, but you want to understand human sexual behavior as well as human behavior in general, 
There is a fantastic series of uh, videos that you can watch by a, a really fantastic uh, researcher by the name of Robert Sapolsky. And he studied baboon tribes. And baboons, male baboons, are fiercely like alpha male driven, right? They will, they will fight each other and tear each other to shreds for the right to have sex with women. And, well, female baboons at least. And they're, they're really, you know, the, the male baboons eat first. So the male baboons take control of the entire tribe. And the females submit to the dominant male. They're, they're fiercely way more than, than any scientist believes ancient humans used to be. And yet, what Robert Sapolsky witnessed is he saw a, a, a pack of baboons where... Um, they found food that had been thrown out by a restaurant. And of course, all the alpha males ate first. And the food was contaminated. I think it was tuberculosis. It was something. And it wiped out all the alpha males from the tribe. So we had a tribe of is beta males, the, the ones who were more caring and nurturing to the kids and were far less aggressive, and, and the females. And what you got is all of a sudden, of course, the, the, the women would have would sleep with the beta males. But what was really wild is that generation after generation... This new culture persisted. In other words, there became in this culture of baboons, just this tribe, a preference for beta male behavior. So anytime a male was too aggressive, the whole tribe would beat that behavior out of him or kick him out of the tribe. When a, when a wandering male would come and join, he would be forced to become less aggressive, less assertive, less alpha, less dominant, because in that tribe, that was considered unattractive, unappealing. So the women didn't want him around and the men didn't want him around. So that there was a new... Uh, sexual behavior in that tribe that was now instilled in spite of the genetic legacy, the genetic history. So it's not just humans that do this. Um, and so what we need to acknowledge is that we as humans are very sexually plastic. What we are, what we can be turned on by, what we do look for in partners, it evolves. It changes over time. You know, if you grew up in the Greek, uh, a lot of the ancient Greek era, a, a very popular insult was to say to a man that you are not enough of a man, you're not masculine because you don't sleep with other men. I mean, contrast that to how we feel now, right? And you can create a narrative that says, well, homosexual se sex is completely maladaptive and well, it doesn't produce children. But what the Greeks discovered and why it became part of the culture is that men who slept together were more loyal to each other and fought harder to protect each other. So it was useful um, as a culture to have men sleeping with men. And so, yeah, we're highly adaptive, and, and that's true today. If you sit back and you step back from the, you know, it's in our genes to want XYZ narrative. If I just look at the area I live in now, I live in the Gold Coast in Queensland. And if I go out, there's many different tribes of women around me. If I, let's just pick two, for example, three. Uh, one is the Instagram crowd because I live in a beach area. There's a very, there's a, there's definitely a, a tribe of women who are very plastic. They have fake lips, um, they've got fake boobs, fake butts. They're all into the how we look. They take lots of pictures of, it, of themselves, trying to look as great as possible, trying to be Instagram followers. For these women, what they value is uh, more aggressive behavior in their guys, more typically alpha. They want him to be big and muscly and strong and dominant. That's what they're looking for in their guys. They're the kind of men that these women are turned on by, for sure. But then we can go to a different tribe that exists where I am, and that's the hippie crowd. There's quite a big hippie uh, culture around here. And imagine that the guys that are getting all the women in that tribe were to go and meet a woman from the tribe that is the Instagram culture tribe. She's going to look at him and be like, ew, no. Right? He's like a little girl. He's got long hair. He's like, got like, like wearing tribal clothes and, you know, like, it's just not her kind of guy. And, and, you know, same for the women. 
and take a woman out of hippie tribe and show her one of these like the, the Instagram star, look at me, I'm so sexy, men with really great rippling abs and muscles and uh, super dominant, aggressive, assertive, alpha male behavior. And she's going to be like, ew, no, what a wanker. And so you get tribes, even now, in whatever culture you're in, you're going to have different tribes. And each of those tribes are going to be turned on by different types of men. You know, if I think about my, my recent ex, and we were together for 11 years, if, if she met a guy who was just super wealthy, like the, maybe an heir to billions of dollars, I wouldn't be particularly worried about her running off with him. Where would I be worried? Where would I start to just be a little bit concerned, even though she, she hasn't run off with him, hadn't run off with anyone? Who would concern me? Well, it would concern me if she met a guy who was really, really business savvy, like a really shrewd, smart business guy, because she respects and loves guys who are really smart in the business world, who really understand the way business works. That turns her on. So that's who I'd be worried about. Not the muscly guy, not the hippie guy. So it's different tribes are attracted to different things. And I think that genetics definitely play a role. So there is definitely a trend of women liking men who have power. That is, that is a trend that does exist. Social status. Um, whether you go into the hippie crowd, it's the guy who has the highest social status who's generally going to get the most women. If you go to the Instagram crowd, the guy who has the most status is generally going to have the most women. So there are there are trends that seem to be written into our DNA, but it's really critical to understand that the role of culture is far stronger than the role of the DNA. It's not that it's stronger, it's, it's, it's overpowering and that we are DNA built to be sexually plastic. That is very changeable with what we're turned on by depending on the culture we're in and the situation in which we find ourselves, we can change that. And why is that important for you to know? It's important for you to know because if you're trying to understand what's going to turn a woman on, a woman on, there is not a template, a genetic template you should follow. There is not a just so story of genetic legacy that you read and you understand and you just apply that to every woman. You cannot read a book that says women are um, just about the alpha male and then apply that to all women because it doesn't. Like what she says is the alpha male is radically different from one tribe of behavior to another. And that's critical to know. So it's important to know what kind of woman do you like? Because the type of woman that you're turned on by, if it's the Instagram crowd chick, the hippie chick, the business chick, whatever, there's, there's plenty of other crowds. You got to understand what she, what her kind of chick likes, because it's going to be different. Um, and that's where your power is going to come from. And that's where a lot of frustration, I believe, in the dating coaching world comes from, is men give this message about what turns women on. And they try to give this blanket message of, oh, women are turned on by this. No. All you can ever do is, look, it seems to be more women than not are turned on by this. More women than not are turned on by that. But it largely depends on who you like. It's the same thing. When I'm coaching men, I've got to know what their personality is and what the personality is of the women they tend to like before I can really fine-tune their ability to be attractive to women. And that's what you've got to know. That's it for today's podcast. I hope you've enjoyed yourself. Don't forget to check us out at schoolofattraction.com. I highly recommend you check out my comprehensive and free dating personality test, which you can find by clicking personality test at the top of the page. Thanks again for tuning in, and I look forward to seeing you in my next podcast.